You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is a guy named Landon Rowlett. Now, Landon is from Texas. He is a diehard fly fisherman. He's managed fly fishing shops before. He plans huge trips, actually internationally even, every year where him and his buddies or him and other people can go out and do like destination fly fishing adventures. And so I'm going to pick his brain all about fishing, all about fly fishing, and hear what Texas has to offer for an angler. So I'm excited about this one. Let's jump right in. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys. So I know that last year was kind of a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers, but that's why we've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Now, Go Wild is a free social community that was built by outdoors men and women just like me and you. Not only are your photos not censored on Go Wild, they're actually encouraged. And they give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn those points, you can unlock awesome rewards like gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Check this out, though. If you create a free account you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So go visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show is Landon Rowlett, and he runs the Honey Hole Hunting Podcast. Did I say that right? It's, it- it's, it's called Honey Hole Hangout. Honey Hole Hangout. Okay, sorry yeah. about that. No, um, no, no worries. But we, we actually used to be on a podcast network together, and unfortunately, we didn't connect until after I was off that network. So uh, thanks for being on the show, though. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really happy to be here. And it's weird being on the other side of the microphone. We were talking about this pre-show, but sitting on this side feels kind of awkward because normally I lead a lot of the conversations. So I'm looking forward to it, man. This is going to be good. It, it's a lot less pressure when you're not the one like doing the podcast. I, I really enjoy it being is. on other podcasts. 
Yeah, no, for sure. I definitely don't feel that pressure. It's kind of nice. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, why don't Why don't you start by sharing with people who may not know you or haven't heard of you yet? Um, share with them what the outdoors looks like for you. What are you most passionate about? What do you like sharing on your podcast? So my my biggest thing is fly fishing. Um, is is the activity I pursue the most. I'm also a hunter. Do a little bit of waterfowl. Uh, a lot of whitetail deer hunting. And then I've, I've worked in the outdoor industry. Um, I worked in a mom and pop outdoor shop while I was in college. I managed a fly shop for a couple of years. And I, while I was in college, I worked as a backpacking and whitewater rafting guide. So a lot of my time working like through college and even post-college when I was in a fly shop has been centered around the outdoors. Um, and, and now I have more of a traditional, like, you know, normal nine to five Monday through Friday job. Um, but I'm doing the podcast and, uh, keeping up with that and still getting out and doing a lot of fishing. And then when hunting season rolls around, I get out and, and, and do some hunting as well. That's awesome, man. Fly fishing is one of those sports that I feel like you're either 100% in or you just don't do it at all. And I, I've been like we talked about before we started recording, I've been a little bit hesitant to get into it because I'm afraid that I'm going to have to give something else up to make room for a new hobby. I would in a sense, agree with your statement that you're either a hundred percent in or not at all because, um, me personally, even if the conditions aren't right, right for fly fishing, I would prefer to cast a fly rod and maybe even at the expense of catching fish, I would still prefer to cast a fly rod um, there's just something about it, um, that you just want to just to dive into it and commit to it almost akin to archery. I mean, guys, my friends that I have, there in archery, you know, all they want to do is shoot a bow, even potentially in rifle season, yep. they like to shoot their bow. They like to hunt archery and that's what they do. So fly fishing is almost a good comparison in that way. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've never, I've never thought of fly fishing as like the archery of the fishing world, mm -hmm. but I could see a lot of similarities, not only like in the sports or how you go about them, but also in like the personalities that go into archery and into fly fishing. Like I know yeah, a lot of people that that's all they do. They don't spin fish. They only fly fish. They don't rifle hunt. They only bow hunt. And I, I guess I never put that together. Well, and, and they're like people that do those are super committed and they practice all the time. You know, the guys that fly fish, they're out like buddies that I have, man, they fish, they put way more hours on the water than I even do. They're, they're very committed to it. And, uh, you know, the nice thing about hobbies like fly fishing or archery is that, you know, they're lifetime hobbies. Even as you get older, you can continue to do them. So like I, I used to play basketball all the time. Now I got a bum knee, you know, like and I'm still pretty young, but as you get older, like some of those more physical activities get harder. So fly fishing and archery are something that you can continue to do as you get older. And then they're almost impossible to master. Um, like I, a couple aspects of fly fishing, I would say I'm pretty decent at, um, but then there's 10 others that I haven't even touched or considered, don't know how to do, don't know anything about them. Like things like European nymphing or spay casting, which are techniques used in other parts of the country. And I haven't even touched that. And those are whole different realms that would just take years and years and years to master. So I, I think a hobby is something that, you know, it, 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 
takes a lifetime to learn. And, and that's why I think people are so committed because it's so hard to master. And because of that, I think it makes it more fun. Yeah. I, I could see like, even within fly fishing, there are so many different types of fly fishing that you can do. Mm-hmm. Like I've watched people up in Wisconsin fly fishing for muskie and I'm thinking, yeah. what the heck? Like, you know how tough it is to pull one of those suckers in with like an actual muskie pole, much less a fly rod. And then you see the people out on the ocean on paddle boards or, you know, in kayaks or like the, the variety of fishing that you can do with a fly rod. I struggle catching a trout, you know, like catching something <laughs> small. I can't imagine trying to reel in a giant, like predatory fish. Yeah. And I know must, I've never musky fished. Uh, and I don't know if I want to like musky fishing is a commitment. It's another thing that you have to, it's another mastery just because, you know, they call musky fish of 10,000 casts. Um, and there's a reason for that. You guys spend a lot of time out in the water. You know, they, they require specific equipment and, uh, you just gotta, you just gotta put time in just like anything else. If you want to be good at it, you gotta put time in it. Yeah. And I can't just like pop up. I couldn't expect to be successful, go up somewhere for a couple of days and catch a muskie. I almost got to live in that area, have a boat and be out on the water every single day. Yeah. And that's just like one small percentage of what fly fishing is. And so you can start diving down these little, little channels and, um, you know, it's just, like I said earlier, it's just a, such a hard sport to master. You can't master everything. You can get uh, tons of variety. Yeah. I, I'm going to probably butcher a lot of terms throughout this podcast and talking to you because I'm not well-versed in fly fishing, but we're going to dive deep into the style of fly fishing you do. Um, before that, I'm going to share a little bit about my history with fly fishing. So Absolutely. I kind of I cut my teeth fly fishing um, in Alaska. I, I, was, I, I had a little bit of experience with it um, at an outdoor like center that I worked for. I, well, I volunteered for it for quite a while and we would teach fly fishing and fly tying. They taught me like a week before I was supposed to be teaching like students and adults how to do it. And so I'd be out there, you know, trying to cast and I'm teaching Mm -hmm. this kid how to do it. And then a different staff member or volunteer would be like, Hey Dan, Dan, like, come here, you're doing it wrong. You're (laughs) teaching them wrong. Um, and it was the same thing with fly tying, but it was only a few days of even having experience like that. And all of a sudden I found myself on vacation with my wife in Alaska, chasing after salmon on the rivers with a fly rod. And I'm like, Holy crap, this is amazing. Now I will say a lot of the spots that we were fishing, it was like 15 feet across maybe. And so I'm, it wasn't like the big, beautiful picturesque casts and like you let it whip out there it was almost like you just kind of toss it like right in front of you and try to catch a salmon cruising up the river. But it was a lot of fun. I just felt like coming back from that, I didn't really have a connection to it anymore. It was like, Hey, I got to do that on vacation. Yeah. Um, because I didn't have any of the equipment, you know, it was a friend that let us use their equipment. Even, even the waders that we used the boots, the, the tackle, literally everything was theirs. And we yeah. just got to use it while we were in Alaska. So that's that's really all the experience with fly fishing that I have. Now, did you catch some salmon? 
We did. Yeah, we did. Um, what kind of salmon were you guys targeting? So silvers were running uh -huh. that year. Um, we caught a lot of silvers. We caught Dolly Vartons. Mm -hmm. um, we caught, I'm trying to think what else. The, the weird part about it for me was that they weren't like striking, right? They weren't hitting uh, the bait. All we had was a hook and a little orange bead that looked like a salmon egg. And that's all we were throwing. And at the time, like once they're, they're spawning or they're starting to run up the river, um, from what I understand, and some of this might not be a hundred percent accurate, but I'll, I'll do the best that I can. They, they're not really hungry. All they're doing is going up to breed and die. And so you're doing a technique called flossing. And so mm -hmm. you're just watching that orange bead drop down or that pink bead drop down to the height of their mouth. And then you're just pulling it back through the water and hoping that it catches them on the mouth. Yeah. On the side, right yeah. on the side. Yeah. And so we, I mean, for every one fish that we caught on the lip, we caught three or four by the tail fin or the dorsal or somewhere else on it. And you can't keep those ones. You have to put them back. Mm. And so that was, that was also interesting to me. I think it would, that been is a, I haven't heard of that before, but that is an interesting, um, rule. I mean, you know, a lot of people argue that, you know, intentionally foul hooking fish is unethical. And I can, I can understand that. But if you do at in your met when you're flossing fish, you know, you're going to foul hook some just naturally the way that you're fishing. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's kind of a weird role. Yeah. It was, it was definitely odd because like at no point was I trying. In fact, I was really trying to not foul hook one because it's just a big ordeal. Like then you're pulling one in it's in bear country. So like all that splashing can definitely attract bears to the mm -hmm. water. And at one point it did, we had to leave and grab all our gear because two <laughs> grizzlies came down. And so I was, I was trying not to, and I wanted to keep the fish, you know, like to catch this beautiful silver that just got like literally just came in probably within a couple hours from the ocean it hasn't started to change or like transform at all. And then to have to put it back because you accidentally caught it like higher up on the face and not on the lip. It was tough. Yeah. It was definitely tough. Yeah. That's, I feel like that's kind of weird. I haven't heard of that before, but that is kind of a, that is a weird rule. Was that like a, a Alaska rule or yeah. was that like your outfitter just kind of nope. had like a weird rule? That is straight up Alaska. Like, huh. um, the Alaska, gosh, I don't even know what the name of the the departments are up there, but basically Alaska Fish and Game Agency, maybe. Um, it's their deal. So, like, it is illegal to keep a fish that you foul hook Man, like that. And that so, is interesting. Yeah. And we, I've, ne I've, I've never fished. I've fished British Columbia, but I've never fished in Alaska. So, yeah, um, yeah, that's that's definitely interesting for but sure. It's weird, though, because like you'll be doing it. You'll be you'll be like stripping line and you'll see it right in front of the fish. And you're just thinking all you have to do is like open your mouth. You'll eat it and I'll catch you. And then some fish from downstream will come flying up, run into one. They all take off. And like you get a fish every time. If they're moving quick up the river, you're going to hook into a fish mm -hmm. but when they get spooked like that from anything from an animal from someone else fly fishing close by and it pushes them like you're gonna catch them and typically it's not on the mouth when they when they take off like that so yeah and i know some salmon species too uh 
you know, you can't actually, will actually eat. But like you said earlier, they are very one track minded when they enter the river and that's reproduce and then die pretty much. And they're, they're trying to expend all their energy getting up to their spawning beds. Yeah. What, what are you primarily fishing for when you're fly fishing? So we have, we, I live in San Antonio, Texas, uh, just so your listeners know we're kind of in a unique situation and the fly shop I managed was in San Antonio and we'd have people come in all the time, man, uh, there's fly fishing around here. I thought that was only up in like Montana, Colorado. And we're, we're in a really unique situation. We have San Antonio is two hours from the coast. We're two hours from Corpus and we have a bunch of great bays and a great fishery at the coast for redfish, speckled trout, uh, black drum, um, would be what we primarily target at the coast. Um, San Antonio is right south on the south end of the Texas Hill Country, which is considered Central Texas. And San Antonio kind of like is that line between South Texas and uh, the Texas Hill Country. Okay. In the Texas Hill Country, we probably have, um, gosh, a dozen rivers that flow through the Hill Country, loaded with bass, sunfish, gar, carp all kind, just a typical warm water fishery, what you would probably see most other places. And then we also have a trout fishery on the Guadalupe. It's the southernmost trout fishery in the United States. It's a tailwater fishery. Um, It's supported by stocking, but it's extremely popular here. And so there's not many places in the United States where you could live in a city like San Antonio, be two hours away from the coast, be 30 minutes away from a bass river, um, or maybe even closer and then we're 45 minutes from the Guadalupe tail race where we can catch trout in the winter. And the, the, the unique thing about that is to the trout fishery is a winter fishery for us. You know, you think in Montana, trout fishing is a summertime activity because the winters are so cold. Well, for us, the summers are so hot that, you know, nobody fishes for trout in the summer. You know, that's also a heavily tubed section of river. So like, you know, tubers going out and doing, doing floats. Um, on that section river. So, and people really want to leave the trout alone. They want to give them the best chance of survival through the summer. And so like November through April, May-ish, you know, trout fishing is on and then we're right into bass fishing. The coast is, is year round as long as the weather is good. And uh, so we can kind of, we don't have an off season, so to say you can, you know, any time of year, if you're willing to seek variety, then, then there's a lot of opportunity here. Uh, yeah. The real, the real big thing here uh, is our state fish. The Texas state fish is the Guadalupe bass. It is a uh, strain of bass that is only found in the Texas hill country. And so that's like, that fish is like mine. A lot of my friends pride and joy is the Guadalupe bass. What, what is different about a Guadalupe bass versus rock bass, small mouth, large mouth? Is it like would, a lot of genetic I would, difference? I would say most similar, most it's most similar to a smallmouth bass. Okay. One of the pro, one of the conservation problems that has been an issue here is that you know 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you know they stocked a lot of smallmouth in the river. They crossbred with the Guadalupe bass, and so that has produced a um, that crossbreeding has produced an inferior fish. It's not. Okay. It would be better to be a pure smallmouth or a pure, pure Guadalupe bass, but the crossbreeding just makes that fish less survivable. Um, 
And so what Texas Parks and Wildlife has really been doing is trying to get rid of the smallmouth out of the rivers and really like focus on that like pure strain Guadalupe bass. And their efforts have been paying off like in the past decade or so. Uh, there has been big differences um, to where it's even hard for me to catch a smallmouth now. I don't catch them that often. I know specific rivers, specific areas where I'm more likely to catch one, but a lot of times it's it's Guadalupe bass. You don't know if it's 100% pure Guadalupe bass, but um, um, you know by the patterning and the color, Guadalupe bass is um, much uh, is much lighter in color than a smallmouth, and they have a very sharp diamonding pattern on the side okay. whereas like a large mouth is like very muted and blended like green and white yep. um and there might be spots but uh the guadalupe bass has like a sharp diamonding pattern that's like a dark olive and so it's kind of very distinct and the bigger the fish is um the uh the more distinct that pattern is so if you catch like a real small fish it's hard to tell and i always go by uh, guadalupe bass has a tooth patch, uh, right where they're right where your tongue would be in your mouth. So if okay. you catch a fish and you pop open the mouth and look, if you're having a hard time distinguishing that tooth patch is a telltale sign that you've caught a Guadalupe bass. And it's just small. It's like, you know, tip of your pinky finger size tooth okay. patch. Uh, and if you were to touch it, it would feel like sandpaper. Uh, but it's right where your right where your tongue would be nice. in the world record to give people an idea of size, uh, a world record. It, the world record is like four and a half pounds ish. Oh, wow. So they, they're, they don't get as big as small mouth. Um, they don't get as big as large mouth, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, comparing like pound for pound fighting, uh, they are a much tougher, tougher fish when you catch one. So if you, if you get a Guadalupe bass on the line, um, it, it would probably compare it to a small mouth nice. fight, uh, pound for pound. So they're, they're super fun. They're that, super fun fish. That's awesome. So I know you said that that is your and your friend's pride and joy. Is that what you spend the most time doing, or do you get out to the coast quite a bit and and do you fly fishing there? Uh, so I definitely spend the most time doing that. Uh, in the winter, I trout fish a lot, um, but I do get to the coast a couple times a year. So and I, I man, I love redfish. If 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 you've never redfished it is hunting fish. So if you like hunting and you like fishing, red fishing is the combination of the two passions because all we're, what we're doing is we're sight fishing. So we are cruising around on a skiff and you're in an elevated position and you're looking for fish. And when you see a fish, you make a cast, you put the fly in front of it and you make it move and redfish are just apex predators and they will just swarm and uh, they're pretty aggressive. So they'll go they'll go, they'll go kill what they're trying to eat. Man, and, I, I had a guy years ago. And now that you're talking about redfish, I'm like, man, I wish I would have taken him up on that. I was a counselor at a sports camp and, uh, the, the parents would come and pick up the kids at the end of the week. And this guy came and he's like, man, you got to come down to Texas sometime. Um, you know, my son told me you're super into hunting and fishing. And he's like, we get on reds down there. Like, that's what we love to do. We go out every chance we get and we chase reds and I'm like, yeah, that sounds fun. I, I had no idea about it. And now it seems like I'm always seeing, uh, like Sims on, I think it's Facebook, like their reels that they post. There's a ton of like fly fishing on the ocean and yep. 
watching that fly hit the water and then you just see a fish like dart after it and it's the same type of deal they're they're sight fishing that yeah. i could get hooked on that redfish is the fly fisherman's friend um they're very aggressive you know you can mess up a cast they'll still eat they can be finicky at times but you know if you can get a fly in front of them and make it move you know they're 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 on the flats to eat so um that man they're just super fun and if you know sometimes the problem is finding them you know the ocean is huge like (laughs) uh it's probably comparable to like trying to find elk or deer if you really don't know where to look once you have some time under your belt you kind of you know know where to look and where to find stuff but um you know finding them can be difficult but once you find them and if you can if you can get a cast in front of them more than likely they're going to eat um, the big thing with the coast is the wind. You just constantly have a 20 mile per hour wind, uh, generally. And so fly casting in a wind takes some practice. Um, yeah, I bet. Yeah. Fly yeah. casting with no wind is difficult. I can't imagine <laughs> in the wind. So, uh, but man, I've had days where the wind's blown like 30, 35. I can barely get a cast out there, but the fish are hungry. They're eating. I, I make throw a horrible cast, but the redfish still eat. And so, it, it it's still fun and it's still a win. So, um, the redfish got to eat no matter how hard it's blowing. Um, yeah. I know, I know some guys that won't go out to the coast, you know, they're like, Oh, it's windy. I'm not going to go out and fish the coast. I'm like, so do you ever fish the coast? Because <laughs> every time I go, <laughs> the wind is blowing. So yeah. you just, as you get better, you know, you can get heavier fly rods that have more weight behind them. And so you can punch to the wind better. And as you become a better caster that you, you get better at dealing with it. And then you also try to put the wind at your back. So you can kind of work little tips and tricks to make it make your experience a lot easier if, if you're having a hard time in the wind. Yeah. I mean, I know around here when I go out to like the pond on the, on the property, I hunt and fish on a lot. If the wind's blowing out there, I'll just throw on a super heavy lure and just launch it. But with fly fishing, it's so much different, man. I've got buddies I've got buddies here who have recently really gotten into fly fishing. Um, they absolutely love it. Uh, they've brought out their their setups out to this pond where we catch a lot of bass. And it's pretty sweet. Like when they're using dry flies and you watch them cast out and the bass just smacks it. Like they get used to certain lures. I mean, it. I'm mm-hmm. sure you've seen it certain places. You know, you can fish a place out where it's like they just won't hit that spoon anymore or they won't hit a Rapala anymore. And so you have to change it up to watch him come out. And literally, I think it was his first three casts he had a bass on um, each time. And he's like, dude, these things have never seen one of these and they are hungry for it. So, yeah, that might be a good point to bring up some advantages of, you know, a fly fishing. Um, you know, the, the flies that he's using are made out of natural materials. And a fly is weightless. If you go pick up a fly to store, um, you know, and hold it, there's no weight to it. If you put it on a conventional rod, you wouldn't be able to cast it at all. It'd no. land at your, it would land at your feet. So there's no weight to the fly. What you're casting is the fly line. And most flies are made out of, you know, either all natural materials or like synthetic materials, rubber legs, stuff like that. And they just have no weight to them. And when you cast out, you can get this fly to land extremely softly on the water, almost in a natural way. Like uh, I fished the Lano River up here is one of my favorite rivers. 
and it's a great grasshopper river. And, you know, you can cast a grasshopper out and it lands like it is falling out of a tree and how a fish would naturally see it. And they just, man, they just get excited for it and they will just go smash it where I know if I was throwing a lure, it would hit too hard, Mm -hmm. you know, make too big of a splash and they wouldn't be able to, you know, you wouldn't be able to catch the amount of fish, but you can just like get this fly to just kind of like, like gravity, let it bring it down. And that, that natural speed and it hits the water, nice, soft plop. And they just, they get real excited for it. And the downside of fly fishing is depth. So that's where conventional, you know, traditionally, you know, most people think of fly fishing as rivers. Generally rivers aren't super deep and you can fish down to like five, six, seven feet, relatively easy with a fly rod. But once you get much deeper than that, then it gets, it gets real difficult. It gets real difficult. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I feel like if I really did get into fly fishing, I would like to, like topwater action is just always awesome. When you Mm -hmm. actually see the splash, when you see it come up and breach the surface, there's something about it, no matter what type of fish, uh, fishing I do, it's just cool to watch it strike. And so I feel like that's what I'd be the most into watching, uh, even just going out in the summer to the pond and watching the water erupting constantly because there's so many bugs they're hitting the top the fish get hungry yeah and it's just everywhere you look you can just like see them just sucking in the bugs days like that i'm like man i wish i had something other than a freaking eight inch pink worm that's going to make a giant splash and like they just don't need to eat it when they have all those bugs on the top I'd say top water fishing really excels for fly fishing. If that's what you like to do, then, uh, you know, I, you should definitely try to fly fish when you're out because just that natural soft landing on the water makes a huge difference. And then I'm the same way, man. Anything visual for me is super exciting. So I like throwing poppers. I tie a lot of flies. My favorite flies to tie are poppers because they're not super hard to tie and, um, you know, watching a bass blow up on a popper, even like a big pan fish. Um, my next, I'll tell you what my next goal in fishing is. I have not caught a redfish on top water yet. And okay. I really, really want to, they have to be in the right mood. Um, redfish, their, their mouth shape and their body is positioned to like pick crabs up off the sand okay. or eat shrimp or eat other bait fish. Their mouth kind of like points down a little bit, kind of think like a cart, but not as extreme. And so they're designed to feed down. So getting them to eat on top, you know, they have to be in the right mood, super aggressive. Um, but that's my next goal. And, and I have gone out on days where I have overcommitted to that to a detriment to where I probably could have had like 20, 30 redfish days. But I was so committed to trying to catch one on top water that I didn't catch one on top water. And then by the time I finally switched to like just a normal crab pattern, you know, I caught a couple fish, but at the rate that we were seeing fish and how active they were, it just didn't happen. But guys, I mean, I've seen videos of reds crushing top water and it looks, it looks awesome. And then the cool thing is too, because their mouth is kind of pointed down when you watch like really cool videos, and I'm sure Sims has these or like Orvis, has these videos out on social media. I've seen them around before, but when they come up to eat, 
a topwater fly, they lose the visual just because of the way their head is shaped. And so they'll miss a lot. And Mm. so it's really cool to come up and like, they like barely miss the fly and it rolls off the side of their cheek or something just because they can't see it when they're, it's like, I guess they're, they're feeling it, hearing it, but when they get to a certain point, they lose the visual and they miss. And it's, it's really funny to watch those videos, man. That's cool. I, I'm, I'm just picturing some of the videos that I've seen and like watching them strike. And I mean, you know, some of them may not have been redfish. It may have been fishing something else, but seeing them out in those big sand flats, like you were talking about, mm-hmm. I, I could get lost out there, man. Like just being up on top, sunglasses on up on a platform. I've never done anything like that. And I'm getting pretty excited about it. Actually. Um, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go well, out and do that. I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I have a, a buddy down there at the coast. His name's William Townsend. If any listeners want to go with a fantastic guide, who's a great teacher. Uh, he is awesome. He's been a guide for a long time. Um, and I would, I would highly recommend going down there and fish with them. I fish with them all the time. And uh, man, you have an open invitation. If you want to come down and catch redfish, we'll go down and fish with him and we'll, we'll go get it done. Dude, that sounds amazing. Now, I feel like a a really good um, marketing move for a guide would be to have a spot on the boat for wives to like sunbathe while you're fishing. Yeah. Because I guarantee the first thing that I would hear from my wife if I was like, hey, babe, I really want to get on to Texas and do some fly fishing for redfish. She'd be like, is it near the beach? Can I lay out? <laughs> and, uh, I'd be, yeah, I, I just feel like that could be a really good couple strip. She would get the sun. She would love it. I would get to fish and love it. Uh, she might not like it if a fish came flying into the boat, but, um, you know, <laughs> well, Hey, we'll get, we'll get my wife, uh, down there and my wife's getting into birding and like the Texas coast is like one of the best birding places uh, some of the best, uh, so I've heard, I'm not a birder, yeah. but such, I've heard that it's one of the best places people travel from all over to go birding down there. And so they can go to the beach and hang out and shoot. My wife loves doing that. So let's, let's, let's get it done, man. And we just got to put it on the calendar. All right, guys, I need to take a quick second to tell you about a product that I've been using for quite a while now. It's called bull elk beard oil. If you've spent any amount of time in the outdoors, whether it's on the mountain, in the marsh, or in the woods, you've felt the effects of the wind, the sun, and the cold on your face. What this product does, it helps you look better, feel more confident, and it helps your beard keep its moisture. Not to mention, it smells great, so now my wife can't complain as much after I come home from a long week of elk hunting. Now I need to tell you, I've gotten to know Brian the founder over the past couple months, and he is an awesome guy. Brian made sure that all of these oils are made out of clean products right here in the USA. He also loves to give back to the outdoor community, whether that's through fundraisers for public land acquisitions or even helping donate money to cover the surgery cost of duck dogs. He's an amazing guy and he makes an amazing product. So go check out bullelkbeardoil.com and be sure to check out the subscription options so that you don't have to run out of your favorite facial hair product. Plus, you can use the code NOMADIC and get 20% off your order. I'm 100% down. Now, when's the best time to go red fishing? So it's, it's year round. Um, the, the winter is tough 
because you have more inconsistent weather. So my fear would be that, you know, you schedule a trip, you come down and fish and we just get horrible weather. Yeah. And we don't want to be out when it's like blowing 40, cloudy, rainy. Uh, it's kind of unsafe on the skiffs. Um, there is a point where, you know, you know, William will like, he's canceled trips on me before um, because, you know, on those smaller boats, you get a lot of wind, you get big swells. Um, the, the bay gets real choppy and it's just not a pleasant boat ride and really not safe. I've been on, I've been out where it was like crystal clear glass water in the morning. And then coming back, we're like on like three foot, three foot, uh, choppy water. And it's just like a a horrible ride back. Um, but so like, you're more likely to come across that in the winter, although the fishing can be good if you hit it right. Yeah. So like, I would say spring and fall, the summer gets really hot okay. in Texas. So uh, it does feel better at the coast because you have the constant wind, but uh, yeah, like spring or fall, um, October would probably be perfect. And so I've heard that's the best time to f- catch a redfish on top waters, October. So oh, nice. maybe we need to put something on the calendar for that time of year. Yeah. That sounds great. I will we're going to chat off air and yeah. get some details locked down on this. Cause yeah. I'm actually, like I said, I'm getting really excited about it. Um, what, so when you're fishing, like say for redfish, you said most of the time you're not fishing top water and they eat, yep. they eat, you know, crabs or, or shrimp or something like that or other bait. Yep. fish. So mm-hmm. what type of fly are you using? Are you using like a small, like shrimp looking deal? Um, yep. and then letting so- it drop, letting it sink. So my strategy is pretty simple for the coast, not a ton of thought into it. Um, I have a, my favorite pattern for the coast is called a contraband crab. And for any fly tires that might be listening, you actually use a scotch bright part of a sponge like that more rough section of a sponge and you cut it to a crab body shape and you use shoe glue actually to attach it to the hook with weight. And you put some rubber legs and stuff on there and make it look furry and fuzzy. Um, that's my favorite pattern, um, to use. It just looks really fishy to me. It looks exactly like I would like the crabs I see down there. And then you can take like an, you know, when I tie them, I just take an airbrush and make them whatever color I want. So if there's blue crabs around, I'll throw a little bit of blue on there. Um, I don't think it's necessary. One thing about fly tying is it's a whole nother hobby than fly fishing. Like people can join them. Yeah. But it's actually two kind of separate hobbies. You can buy whatever fly you want in a fly shop. Uh, fly tying for me is like super creative and it's kind of like a creative outlet in a way, like painting might be or music might be to some people. Um, so, you know, fly tires tie flies to impress fishermen is the kind of the running joke. Yeah. Um, we go down to the coast, man, none of that matters. You could like, as long as it kind of looks like a crab, they're going to eat it. Uh, but contraband crab is my favorite. And then, uh, a clouser minnow, which most people probably heard of. It's one of the most popular flies out there. Those work great. And then any shrimpy looking shrimpy looking pattern. Um, and then the other thing I do is I contrast the, uh, I contrast the surface I'm fishing on. So for example, if I'm fishing on sand, I won't throw a tan crab 
I will throw like a white looking crab or an olive, a real dark color. Yeah. So that way when I'm fishing it, I can see the fly and I feel like the redfish can see it better because there's that contrast. Whereas if it's tan on tan, it kind of gets lost in the sand. Yeah. And then if I'm fishing on grass, um, then I will fish like a tan crab because it contrasts against the grass. So that's my strategy. Not everybody does that, but for me, I'm sight fishing. I want to see my fly. Um, so I know where it's at. And then I, I feel like mentally the fish can see it. And, uh, to point on that, you know, fly fishing is so much about confidence. As long as you have confidence in what you're doing, you're going to catch <laughs> fish. Uh, I have a funny story about, um, I did a guided fly fishing trip this past weekend, um, to help a buddy of mine out. And I had a guy on my boat and he was t- talking constantly about, man, I'm cursed. Every time I go out, I don't catch any fish. You know, my, I might be fishing to right next to somebody that's catching a ton of fish, but I can't catch anything. You know, I just feel like this fishing thing's not for me. He was like going into the trip. He was like pretty down. Yeah. And I was like, man, I really want to get this guy on a fish. Um, and the fishing was kind of tough. I had worked through all my confidence flies where I like, no man, like if I'm not struggling, I put this fly on, I worked through all those. We were just trying to start off with a pan fish, which were even easier than bass throwing whatever I could to catch a pan fish. And after a while we were fishing this fly that I was feeling pretty good about, but we didn't, we hadn't caught anything. And the guys on the other boat hadn't really caught much either. So it was just kind of a slow day in general. And, um, I asked him, I was like, man, do you like, do you have confidence in this fly that we're fishing? And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, on a scale from one to 10, how confident are you that you're going to catch a fish on this fly? And he's like a two. I'm like, all right, we're going to change flies. He's like, what do you mean? It's like, he's like, you're the guy you should know. I'm like, yeah, but if you don't have confidence in it, you're not going to catch it. So I picked out a couple flies out of my box that I thought would work like three or four options. And I was like, all right, man, which one of these looks best to you? Like, which one are you excited to fish? He picked one uh, a little bit later. We ended up getting him a bass. That's so, awesome. um, whatever you guys do hunting or fishing, I'm a firm believer in confidence. And, you know, if you are bass fishing or you're hunting, or you're standing on the bow of the boat. If you stand up there with confidence, then success will come to you. Yeah. I I feel like that is that's a good um mindset to go into life with. Like literally mm-hmm. everything in life. I I used to joke with people. I did a I did a fundraiser at Daytona 500 when I was in college. So a bunch of us went down there and we were basically the janitors and if, if you're a janitor, the Daytona 500 is like the worst place that you could possibly have to clean up after people. That sounds absolutely horrible. Oh dude, it was, it was the worst. I'm talking like you'd just, we we wouldn't be like full on scrubbing stuff, but we would go in and like just replace the paper towels in the bathrooms. There were people that would just stumble in hammered into the bathroom. And then, you know, like the, uh, the dustpans that have a long handle that you see mm-hmm. in like stadiums or whatever, you just walk around and you can like shove stuff into it and pick it up and it, yep. it uh, writes itself when you lift up. There was one of those hanging on the wall and I walk in the bathroom to check the paper towel and this guy is just filling it with pee. I mean, he's just like sitting there <laughs> filling it with pee. Anyways, I'm, I'm getting way off track right now. Um, the, the company that like subcontracts all that workout that we were getting paid by, 
um, they were like, hey, listen, you know, here's the spots that you can go. Here's the spots that you can't go. We went and kind of got the rundown of the whole thing the night before the race had started. Got to see some of the trials and stuff like that. And the next day, the actual Daytona 500 was happening. And I'm like, this is going to be cool. I've never been super into NASCAR. It's just not my thing. Um, my family wasn't super big into it either. Uh, but I was like, man, it's kind of a cool event to be at. You know, this is like the Super Bowl of racing, I feel like. And they told us that we couldn't go on the infield at all. Well, before the race started, like if you were a VIP, you could actually go down, walk across the track to the infield, be right next to the drivers, the teams, the cars, everything. And I said, dude, I'm going down there. Like, I'm going to go check this out. And my buddy's like, you can't go down there. And I was like, yes, I can. He's like, no, your badge won't let you down there. And I said, dude, if you have confidence, you can do whatever you want. And here I am. And it wasn't the same one that got peed in. This was before it got peed in. I had the broom in the dustpan, and I just walk right through the gate, straight down onto the track. And the security guard who's sitting there, he just looks at me, and I'm like, hey, what's up, man? And I just keep going. And that was it. And he didn't stop me, nothing. I get halfway across the track and all of a sudden the announcement comes on like the race is about to begin clear the infield, whatever. And so I was like, dang it, man. Like <laughs> I, I was too busy convincing my buddy that I could do it, that I didn't actually get to enjoy it. And so I came back and uh, a little while later, there was actually YouTube videos of people and they were like, all you need is confidence and a neon vest and you can go anywhere in the world. And they made this YouTube video of them putting a neon vest in and just acting like they were supposed to be places. And they'd blow right past security, right through metal detectors, everything. And so, anyways, all that to say here, gosh, that was such a long thing to talk about uh, in, no, in response. But, but the it confidence, goes to the man, point, it's all man, about the confidence. confidence. You go out on a hunting trip you have confidence, man. It just seems like whether it's luck or whatever, it's just more likely to happen. I believe the same thing about fishing. You know, if you have confidence in what you're doing, it, it changes your demeanor. And, uh, I think you're more likely to succeed. Yeah. Well, and if you're confident, you're going to just be paying more attention. You're going to be mm -hmm. more in tune and more present, you know, yeah. like if I go out hunting and I don't think it's going to be a good day for hunting, like I might spend a lot of time scrolling on my phone in the tree stand. Whereas if I'm like, man, the weather conditions are right. Like this day last year, I shot a buck. I'm going to be confident that it's going to happen. And I'm going to be in, in tune the whole time. Like I'm going to be yeah. looking, I'm going to be watching for movement. I'm going to be listening for stuff. I'm not going to be distracted by my phone or anything else up in the tree yeah. stand. And so even if it's not like, some weird juju that you get or like, you know, like all the stars align, everything works out perfect just because you're exuding this confidence. If nothing else, it just makes you more aware and makes mm -hmm. you more present for it. And you're probably going to enjoy it more. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. What, um, so what does that look like? Do you, you just guide kind of do one-off stuff? Um, for I, uh, yeah. So I used to do a lot more when I was at the fly shop. Um, so I do a couple things. Um, one, I do a lot of casting, private casting lessons, um, just people that want to like work on casting. Cause I, I have access to a great pond in San Antonio. I got permission from the local, uh, local people that run that pond. They think it's awesome. So I have like a great place to go. And all we do is just practice casting, like people getting ready for a big trip and they need to, their cast be better. We'll, we'll go out an hour at a time 
and I can hit it after work or on the weekends. And I, I do a lot, I do quite a lot of those. That's cool. Um, and then, uh, I do some, do some guided trips. Normally it's a pretty small circle because my, well, I'll just tell you guys what I do. I'm an insurance adjuster. And so at times I'm extremely busy. We get a tornado, a hailstorm, whatever I'm working every weekend. Can't do it. But I have a really small group of clients, uh, that are, are really great. And I've built great relationships with, and it's kind of one of those things. I have an open weekend. I look at the water flows, make sure that we can actually float the section of river and the weather looks good. I'm like, Hey, you know, you want to go out this weekend and I'll shoot them a text message. Um, and they'll be like nine times out of 10, they say yes. Yeah. And so that is normally what my guided stuff looks like, you know, like two or three clients. I know I'm really well, we're all great friends. They're older and retired. So they have a, uh, an open schedule and we just go and do a float when the conditions look good. And, and I have some time, um, in this case, this past weekend, I was helping somebody out, um, who had a large group. So, you know, I occasionally do that to some people reach out and I, and I will help them. Um, my big thing is teaching. That's what I did at the fly shop. We did fly fishing classes and gosh, I probably put like thousands of people through fly fishing courses. I love teaching. Yeah. And so like the casting lessons, even on this guided trip, you know, uh, I, I took out the guy with the least amount of experience and I, you know, I could focus on him and really just like try to help him learn. I love the teaching aspect of it. And I love helping people catch their first fish. It's like, it's like, uh, I get to relive me catching my first fish through them. And yeah. it's super exciting. Yeah. That's um, awesome. And then I do, um, something else I used to do a lot of, I do uh, hosted trips, um, again, I have like a really nice, like small group of people that like to travel with me. And so like once a year, I'll put a trip together, um, that kind of works for everybody and we'll go somewhere and do, uh, and do like a group trip. Like, um, um, I've done New Mexico, uh, Belize, I actually have a Belize one coming up in June. Um, I've done Utah, a couple other places. And then, uh, next year, uh, 2023, I'm real excited about doing the Smith river in Montana, uh, which is like a five day float on the river. You're camping on the river. Um, I've done that once before and it was, it was super cool. So I do that. I used to do two a year now with my work schedule, I can manage one a year. Cause they, they take a lot, of, they took, take a ton of time to plan and get everything organized and get, kind of get everybody on the same page. So, yeah. um, uh, that's, that's super fun too. I love, I love doing that, man. That's awesome. Like planning a big trip like that a year sounds, sounds so cool. Is there a place that is on your bucket list is like number one that you just have to go or a certain type of fish that you want to go fish for? Uh, variety is my spice of life. So <laughs> I like different experiences, like, and I love props to William who I was talking about earlier. Man, his thing is redfish. Day in, day out, redfish are his thing. Props to those guys. They bring so much knowledge for people like me that I could not, honestly, I could not do that every day. If I lived on the coast, I would go redfishing a lot, but variety is my spice of life. Yeah. And so I love that I can go to the coast and the next weekend I can go catch some trout and then next weekend I can go catch some bass and then maybe one weekend I can go carping. I love the variety. And, uh, it, I don't think it makes me an expert in any one of those things, but I think it makes me pretty well-rounded. Yeah. Um, cause the guys I know that like carp, they're super tough, man, those guys, they carp every weekend. 
they catch tons of carp. I will never be to that level just because I don't put the time in that they do, um, on those fish. Um, but so variety is my spice of life. So I just kind of see what my group is interested in doing. I've done Belize a couple times. It's just super popular because there's something for everybody there. And then it's a great trip for spouses to come on Yeah, because they can do the beach thing. And it's, uh, at a place where, you know, it's, it's all inclusive. So they can go to the bar and get drinks or they can go snorkeling. And then sometimes wives want to fish, they can do that. So it provides a lot of variety and people can fish for bonefish, which are kind of similar to redfish. Um, pretty friendly to catch. Um, and then if you want to like get after it, you could go tarpon or permit fishing. So it kind of provides, uh, a very like well-rounded experience, no matter if you're like an expert or you're a beginner and then throwing the spouses on top of that, it's real popular. Um, one thing I bucket list trip I want to do is Christmas Island, which is South of Hawaii. Okay. It's like way South of Hawaii. Um, uh, Kiribati is the country. And, um, I actually had a Christmas Island trip lined up. They got canceled because of COVID. It was supposed oh, to be wow. in the fall. It was supposed to be in the fall of 2020. Um, and then Kiribati like shut down. Um, and that trip got canceled and I actually heard people got stranded there for weeks. Um, <laughs> you're everything... like, dang it. Why didn't I go? <laughs> <laughs> why wasn't I there earlier? Yeah. Um, and I can't blame them for shutting down. They actually get doc. The, the way they get doctors down there is they get people to like uh, the doctors to come down and they offer them like the f- they can fish when they're not doing their thing and they get a free place to stay. And so people will like volunteer to go down there and provide services. And then they kind of get to fish while they're there. Um, the big, the big target down there, they have bonefish there. And then GTs giant Trevally are, um, are the main target there. Um, I really want to do a, a trip to like Bolivia for Dorado uh, at some point. Oh, I, I know what my bucket list trip is. Um, right. uh, Mongolia is my bucket list trip. Yeah. Um, they have a uh, salmonoid species there called t- uh, Timon. And they live up to like a hundred years old, but do they like can get to like a hundred pounds? Like they're just huge, huge fish. And then to be, for me, part of the experience is like being part of the culture too. And like, I think Mongolia, like the yurts and that like whole deal, it's beautiful there. And the way that they do the trips there, I'm a big fan of like camping trips. So you camp on the river for a week. So you float fish all day you get to camp, you set up camp, do dinner, all that sleep, break down camp, float the next day. And that's what we're doing on the Smith next year. And, uh, that is my bucket list trip. It's just going to Mongolia is a lot of travel yeah, and it's extremely expensive. So, um, uh, I haven't been able to pull that one off yet, but I would probably say that is the bucket list trip for me, um, would be definitely be the top of the list. Dang, that's I <laughs> that is definitely a first to hear. I've never heard of somebody like, man, Mongolia is where I want to go fishing. You know, it's a lot of tropical places. And yeah. I think people just have an attraction to warm weather, beautiful mm-hmm. sandy beaches, like all of that thing. Um I've had I've got an aunt and uncle that actually moved to Belize for a little while. 
Mm. And I regret not going and visiting them because looking at pictures, holy cow, man, that place looks amazing. Belize is great, man. I, I, I love Belize. I know people that have gotten married in Belize. Um, it, it's, it's such a cool country. The fishing's great, very chill, relaxed. Um, I, and I, I love going to Belize and I'll, I'll probably go again. And then, you know, the variety of species and the ease of travel, like you can direct flight from Houston to Belize. Oh, it's nice. just easy. Getting to Mongolia is not easy. <laughs> no. you, you know, it's like, it's like a day's worth of like 24 hours worth of flying. And then you hop on a bus for a couple hours to get like out into the country. And then, you know, there's just like, it's just like leveled. Uh, the Seychelles is kind of like that. If you ask most fly fishermen, what their bucket list trip would be, would be the Seychelles. And it takes like three days of travel to get there. Just because you fly, 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 get on a boat, get on a boat, get on a boat, get on a boat. It's just like, it just stacks up. But I don't, it's not on my bucket list because I don't think I'll ever be able to afford it. Those trips are like $20,000, $30,000. Holy cow. Um, And I just don't think, I just don't think I could ever realistically pull that off so yeah um and in the big target species there is giant trevally which is the same thing you can fish for at christmas island and christmas island is much more affordable yeah you know uh you know probably like five grand by the time it's all said and done flights and your trip and being there for a week dang yeah the travel side of it i don't mind traveling like we drive a ton we spend a lot of time in the vehicle mm-hmm. um but my big thing like traveling out of country to try to do hunts or fishing trips or anything like that. There's so much to do here in the United States or even like Mexico, Canada, like somewhere close. I'll never exhaust all of the different types of hunting or fishing here. And so I'm like, I don't know, you know, there's a few things that I think, Oh, this, this part of the world would be cool to see. New Zealand seems beautiful i mean it seems absolutely gorgeous and so whether you're a hunter whether you're a hunter or fly fisherman new zealand is known for like huge brown trout yeah and so i would love to go to new zealand but again it's it's just hard like belize is easy like belize is almost the equivalent of me flying i don't know across the country like if i was gonna fly to washington right the flight's the same amount of time i get there and then all I have to do is take a puddle jumper to an island, and then I'm pretty much there. It's, you know, seven hours of, of travel time. So it really feels like you're not leaving the country. But I, I totally get that. I have friends. I, I have people I know that are the exact same way. Like, I'm never going to travel out of the country because I'm never going to hit everything I want to do here. Yeah. And there's still stuff here I want to do. I want to go to Alaska, too. Yeah. Yeah, Alaska. I've never done that. I mean, that's a whole different beast. I feel like you would really enjoy um, our our last day. The first time I went to Alaska, our last day, our friends let us use their paddle boards, and we just went out on the ocean. And there's this gorgeous beach. I mean, it's like it's like layered black and white sand. It's so weird. Ooh. And you get out there, and we're I mean, it's freezing cold water, but we're paddling out and. I look down and it looks like there's seaweed or reef or something down below us. And it was like nice and sunny. I see these fish all jumping and here they're salmon. And I'm like, Oh dude, that would be amazing to be like fly fishing right here. I mean, you're, you've got mountains that just drop straight into the ocean 
Um, there's all sorts of different types of animals that you can see there. And then I look down in this seaweed, wherever my wife's shadow of her paddleboard was, it would part. And I'm like, dude, those are all fish. I'm talking like tens, if not hundreds of thousands of salmon all waiting at the bottom of the ocean. And they didn't like being in her shadow. I don't know what it was. I don't know if they're always like that. But Those were all salmon? They were all salmon, and it was just like a black bottom. I mean, it really did. It just looked like a black bottom um, with with texture, obviously. And then all of a sudden, she'd go into it, and it would just part wherever she went, and then it would come back together. And I've got pictures. I'll, I'll have to see if the picture's on my phone. There was like an overlook over this beach and over the ocean, and looking down at it, I remember being up there and I'm like, that's crazy, man. The sand underneath the ocean is like just giant globs of black. And it turns out that they were all fish. And what? so if my, if my uh, pictures on my camera show it, I'll send it to you so that you can actually see what I'm talking about. Anyways, they were all just sitting there because right down the center of the beach was a river and they were just waiting for the tide to come up and they were all just going to make a run for it. That sounds like cheating. Dude, there, I'm telling you, man, it was insane. And I got videos, like I was oh, taking man. pictures and videos of her. And then it was just like salmon were just launching out of the water everywhere. I mean, every couple seconds, you'd see one just poof, launch five feet, like to a different spot, go under. Another one would shoot the other way. And I'm like, dang, man, this could be, this could be a ton of fun, especially on a paddleboard. Like that would be a killer yeah. trip. I've never fished off a paddleboard, but uh, I know guys that do. They chase carp off paddleboards. Um, I have an inflatable raft, so I float our rivers here, like uh, you would see in like Colorado or Montana, yeah, or something like that. the the pro- The big problem we run into though is flows. So, you know, uh, there's just certain times uh, that I I just can't float, or else I'm dragging a boat all day, and that's yeah. not really fishing from a boat. That's just dragging a boat all day. Oh yeah. 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 When we, when we go kayaking and canoeing, we all we're constantly having to check river levels because yeah, most of the rivers here are, you know, at the bottom of giant valleys or like we're, you know, a lot of the places we float are in the Ozark mountains. And so two inches of rain up river could mean a several foot difference in the river level. Or if you don't have rain for a week, if it's not a good spring fed river where like you're down on the lower end of it, you might yeah. not be able to float it for two months. Otherwise, you're walking your canoe or kayak the whole time. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah, checking flows all the time, man. Um, and then hoping for rain yep. all the time, too. And we get crazy flash floods here. Oh, dang. Yeah, that'd be, yeah. That'd be sketchy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, some buddies of mine got caught. Have you heard of the Devil's River? I, I can't say that I have. I mean, it sounds so familiar, but it's way out west Texas. It's like four hours west of us in San Antonio. I mean, it's straight up in the desert. Um, it's one of the most pristine environments in Texas. Spring fed, uh, beautiful water. Um, there's like pictograph paintings like on like cliff faces all throughout there. Um, really cool float. You have to be on the river for three days though. Uh, public access point to public access point. So you're looking at like a three day camp and you have to do it in a canoe or a kayak uh, just with the flows. And uh, I was talking to some guys that got caught out there 
And in the middle of the night, the river just started rising like crazy while they were sleeping in their tents and all their stuff was getting wet and it wasn't even raining there. The storm happened like two hours, you know, maybe like an hour or two away from them. And it just brought so much water into the river. Um, They were, they had a, they lost a bunch of gear and it ended up being kind of a mess. Um, But We've had some like historic floods here in the past couple of years that have just washed rivers out, washed bridges out. Um, on the Lano, which is my favorite hill country river, um, gosh, it was probably four years ago now. There was a flood where a lady got washed into the river and she survived, but she had gone like 30 miles down river before she got out. It's like an impossible what? story. Like you wouldn't believe it. Like how Holy, can you be? Yeah. And when you see like video, um, the river looks like it's up like 30 feet. Dude. Just, just crazy. Just crazy. Like thunderstorms just drop a ton of water. And then all that water, like dry dirt, it just runs into the river and then it just picks up everything and uh, uh, crazy. And that was like, like an all time high flood. And it seems like we get one of those on a specific river here every couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. We, the Buffalo river, we float that in Arkansas all the time and we'll go float it. And it's crazy because it'll be like beautiful crystal clear water. You'll see needle nose gar at the bottom. You know, you can catch all kinds of different fish on it and then you'll get rain overnight. And the whole thing is just like the thickest chocolate milk looking river you've ever seen. Um, and then debris everywhere and yeah. sticks and leaves and you know you can't even see that yeah I, I totally understand we've we've hiked down before and you'll you'll be floating down the river and you'll look up 25 feet in trees and there's just debris and it's like you you got to be kidding me like the river oh. rose that much we found a you, we found a canoe one time wrap yep. bent fully in half and i, I was it I was, was gonna, I was gonna say that I uh, there's a section I float and I know exactly where the canoes at. I pointed out every time and I was like, the river was that high a couple of years ago and there's like a bent canoe like 20 feet up in a tree. Jeez, it's, it's crazy. We we found one and it wasn't that high up. Or, well, it actually was still kind of in the water and I think that's why they didn't pull it out. It was bent around this tree that was in the water and. I mean, the river was higher than normal, but obviously somebody dumped out of it and they just couldn't get it because the current was so strong. Well, I went Mm. down there and I told my buddies, I'm like, we're getting this canoe out. And so we go down, grab it. I mean, like we pick it up and it was, it was a fight to pull it out and it was bent like probably two thirds of the way, um, back towards or towards the bow. And I just cut it off right there. I grabbed my knife and literally cut through it and cut it off and i brought it back to this horse barn that we stay in it's like an abandoned horse barn the government bought the property or bought the that land years and years ago and so there's a bunch of structures out there well i turned it into a hammock i hung the i hung the canoe up inside the barn and i slept that's awesome and all of a sudden this guy uh we were hanging out down by the cliffs one day and he's like hey have you guys seen a canoe at all and i'm like yeah and he's like, yeah, we, we had somebody that rented one from us and it was, you know, down in this area. Um, he told us right where it was and he's like, so we're looking for it. And I'm like, dude, I actually cut it in half and made a hammock out of it. It's in the horse barn. 
And he's like, dude, come on, man. Like, we got a job to do. Like, quit messing with us. I'm like, no, I'm 100% serious. I cut it in half, and it's hanging in the horse barn. My sleeping bag and pillow are in it right now. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, dude, follow me. So I took him up there, and I ended up having to take my stuff out. I, like, duct taped Dan's hammock on the side of it. And anyways, I was like, dude, I already cut it in half. And he's like, it doesn't matter. We'll fix it. We'll figure it out. We just... Like, we have to bring it back. That's what we're out here to do. And I'm like, mm. okay. So, anyways, it was it was really odd. Probably the weirdest thing that they were expecting to hear. Like, no, dude, I took the canoe and made a hammock <laughs> out of it. Man, that's that's a cool story, though. I wish you could have. I wish they didn't have to take it out and you could have held on to it. I know. I've got pictures of it still. I don't like looking at them because back then I was, like, in college and completely shredded eight-pack and now every time I look at the pictures, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what I looked like before two kids and gaining more weight than my <laughs> wife during pregnancy. <laughs> oh, man. Well, dude, we we're coming up on time here, and I feel like I could talk about fishing a lot longer. There's so much like <laughs> fishing talk that's pent up inside of me because everybody that comes on the show talks about hunting. So dude, we, we didn't even scratch the surface of the potential that we could talk about again dude i'll come back on again if you want me to I'll, I'll give your listeners a teaser i did a crane hunt that was a disaster that might be interesting for them to hear and i got all kinds of fishing stories so dude. we'll have to do this again oh we we uh, will 100 percent do this again this was a ton of fun unless nobody listens then you can just let me know it won't be a, it, we no i think they will how how far dude i have no idea where anything is in texas how far are you from roscoe do you know where roscoe is dude Okay. How do you know about Roscoe? I am, I'm heading there in the morning. I'm, I'm leaving here at 8am to go down to Roscoe to do a helicopter hog hunt. Who are you doing it with? Rogue Texan Outfitters. Do you know the guy's name? It is. Let me look. I don't want to get it wrong because I've been talking to a bunch of different people, uh, not about this hunt, but I've had so many new people. I believe it is Landon. Yeah, it's Landon. I was like, I didn't want to say it because your name's Landon. And I didn't. What's his last it. name? Orman. Dude, no freaking way. <laughs> Do you know I went to Texas? high school. I went to high school with Landon Orman. Dude, Texas is such a huge state. The odds that you guys know each other is insane. Holy smokes! Okay. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> so. All right. I'm very familiar with Roscoe. So I went to high school seven miles south of Roscoe. Roscoe is an extremely tiny town. So there's no reason that you in a million years would ever know <laughs> what Roscoe, Texas is. So I went to high school, uh, small school. Uh, my graduating class was 13 people south of Roscoe. Uh, Landon Orman was a grade above me. Okay. And so we were kind of friends in high school. Um, I mean, you're friends with everybody when the school's that yeah. small. So <laughs> Um, first of all, when you go tell him, I said, hi, and that we chatted today because I haven't talked with him in a while. Um, but I thought that he was running that cause I've seen stuff on social media, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure. Dude, um, what the heck, man, this is so weird. So, <laughs> uh, my mind is just blown. Um, so, uh, we, and we have a family property that is, tw uh, 20 25 miles from there where okay. that's where we do our whitetail hunting nice we have a million hogs so if you wanted to come shoot hogs here then you know with us but we don't do helicopters so that's going to be 
that that's that's gonna be awesome dude i'm so um, pumped i can't wait and it feels weird that it's here like it was just a thought months and months ago and then i got the invite and i was like yeah i'll do it and now i leave for it tomorrow i've got my stuff scattered all over this place right now because yep. i've got to load up my truck get it ready for the morning um, so yeah man i grew up there my dad lives my whole my dad's side of the family lives uh probably 20 miles from where you're gonna be um that's like my neck of the woods and i'm there all the time hunting because our family place is uh is is not too far from there I'm in San Antonio though. So I'm probably like, I'm at like a three and a half hour drive oh, okay. from where you're going to be. So not super close, but, uh, shoot, man, dude, that's um, so funny. Oh man. I'm pumped to, I'm pumped to bring it up. I'm going to just be like, Oh yeah. I'm not even going to say like, Hey, he said hi or anything at first. I'm just going to be like, Oh yeah. I, I was on a podcast the other day with a guy named Landon who li- likes to fly fish and wait and see if he can connect the dots. Yeah, dude, do it. And yeah. I'm going to, I'll wait. You're, you're going to do it over the next couple of days. I'm assuming I'll give it a couple of days and then yeah. I'll follow up with him. I haven't talked to him in a couple of years. Um, but, uh, man, that is awesome. <laughs> I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah. And I'm going to follow up with Landon, but I'll give you the opportunity to, uh, Oh yeah. I'll just to, mess with them uh, a little throw, bit and I'll just throw that in there. Yeah. And then after, after he connects the dots, I'll be like, I'm just messing with you. Like he told me to say hi and he just randomly was like, Hey, where are you going? Who are you hunting with? And I told him, and he's like, no way. So I'll, yeah, I'll make sure he, he knows how it all played out, but I'm definitely going to try to mess with him first. Yeah. And if he's doing that too, then, uh, that I might need to connect with him and, and, and go on a helicopter hunt with him myself. Cause that sounds super fun. Dude. He said, he said to expect 30 to 40 hogs an hour. So yeah, I talked to him the other day. He said they flew for six hours and killed 185 hogs. Yeah. So we've had people do that over our property. And the numbers coming back have been like, oh, we killed like 200 hogs. Oh We've never been a part of it. People yeah. have asked, hey, can we? We're like, absolutely. Um, but like, yeah, just insane numbers. So I love I, Texas, man. <laughs> Texas. <laughs> the stories that come out of Texas blow my freaking mind. And it, it's like every story, it's something new. And you're like, it can't top the last one I heard. And then it does. So, but what we need to do, man, I want to get you out on some redfish. So deal. Uh, uh, let's get something on the calendar. We can come down, we can podcast together and, uh, maybe do so try to do something on the water or something cool like that. And, uh, we'll shoot some video and make it a, a cool deal. Dude, I am all about it. Um, before, before we hop off, why don't you share where people can find, the podcast where they can follow you on social media or online. Um, and that way they know how to connect with you. Yeah. So, uh, it's, it's a little weird, but our, our business name is honey hole angling. Um, and so our website is honey hole angling, Instagram, honey hole angling, Facebook, TikTok. Uh, we just started a TikTok like not that long ago. Um, but our podcast is like a branch of that and it's called honey hole hangout. And the idea is that, uh, we're a group of buddies. There's usually three of us and then plus a guest. Um, so there's four people together and we hang out and we talk about hunting, fishing in the great outdoors. Um, whatever's on our mind that day, we talk a lot about conservation issues that are in Texas. We have a big oyster, um, crisis going on that we've been talking a lot about, 
And so we do a lot of current news and then just like current outdoor news too. Um, and then we interview a guest as well. So our, our shows are like an hour and a half long. They come out once a week and you can find it anywhere that you are listening to this podcast. I guarantee you we're on the same platform. Just search Honey Hole Hangout. Um, and then on our website, we have a bl- we write blog articles. And then another thing we do is a YouTube channel. And so I do fly tying videos and we do videos of us going out and fishing. Those aren't as consistent as the podcast because as you know, it's hard enough to do a podcast, but it's about 10 times more work to do a video. Yep. Um, and so that's not as consistent and we get to it when we can, but we that YouTube channel is out there and we do have some cool content on there. So uh, I appreciate you guys uh, checking it out if you're interested in, in it. And uh, um, I'll, yeah, I'll just leave you guys with our business stuff. So if you guys need to reach out to me, just reach out to me on any of that stuff. Our, our emails on the website um, or on all the social media. So if you guys want to shoot me an email um, or if you guys want to do like, or if anybody's interested in going on a trip, I do one a year. So if you want to get on that list, um, let me know. That'd be cool, man. That's dude. You guys have so much going on. And the fact that on top of that, you're planning these killer trips that it just seems awesome and crazy. And, uh, I can't wait to come down, man. I appreciate you hopping on the call. And I know you're going to be our, our agreement was that you're going to come on our show. So yeah. we're going to get that scheduled and we'll have you on and then we'll just reverse roles and uh, you can come on and hang out with us and it'll be good. Hey, so uh, I'll drop a bomb for you. It's my understanding that you just started carrying merch. So if you guys are a fan of uh, this podcast, then I know there's sweatshirts and stickers and all that kind of sweet stuff on his website. And you guys should go check that out. Dude, they should, and there's more merch coming. I've got some real fun designs yeah. on the way, so we'll see how that plays out. I want to say <laughs> I've had, like, one friend from high school buy a buy a hoodie so far, <laughs> so that's all right. Um, it, hey, man. At least somebody's got to rep it. Yeah. No, it'll happen. It'll yeah. happen. Yeah. Well, dude, I really do appreciate it, and I will keep in touch We'll get a we'll get a fishing trip planned, and I will let you know how it goes. Not only helicopter hog hunting, but messing with your old high school buddy. Yeah, that would be awesome. Thanks, man. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. I had a great time chatting with Landon, and I want to get on one of these adventures that he goes on, like to Christmas Island, down to Belize, wherever it is. I think it would be so much fun to go and do a destination trip like that. I I would definitely make my wife happy if she got to go chill on the beach while I fished. Oh, man, that sounds like a win all the way around. Anyways, I want to get down to Texas, though. I want to see what red fishing is all about. I want to see all the different styles that he goes um, out and does. And I think this summer is going to be a big-time fishing summer for me. Normally, I don't put a ton of time into fishing. Um, but my buddy already told me he knows where, where some walleye are about to be running. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I just like being outside. If you guys don't know that by now, I don't think you're ever going to figure it out. But I'm pumped to get outside. I'm pumped to go hunting, fishing, anything and everything that I can do. Hopefully, you guys are getting excited about all the seasons that are coming up. I know here, we're really not that far. We're creeping up quickly on turkey season, and I think that's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm going to be heading down to Arkansas soon, before turkey season, actually. I want to head down there on that fly fishing trip and I'll have some updates for you shortly. Hopefully it's good. Hopefully I can figure out what fly fishing 
is all about how to do it, how to cast without looking like a total idiot. Anyways, until next time, guys, always choose adventure and God bless. <laughs>